You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, good morning, Radiant Church. So good to see you on this beautiful Sunday morning. If you're new with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Marco. I am the lead pastor of Radiant Church. Thank you so much for making Radiant a part of your weekend. I'm going to just continue to remind you guys, this year we have three services for our Christmas Eve service on Saturday, December 24th. We've increased the service. Last year we had one service that was so full. We literally had seats throughout every aisle. We had no room for people. So we had to add uh, an additional service this year. So make sure you mark your calendars for 1 o'clock, 2.30, 4 p.m. These are one-hour services because these are full of kids, um, jam-packed. It's going to be an amazing time. So we want to encourage you to make plans to be with you to be with us here and also tell your friends and your family. We're going to go live with a video that we've produced for an advertisement as well. We'll go live with that today or tomorrow, so make sure you share that on your social media platform of your choice. All right, well, today we are beginning a brand new message series entitled Christmas, the Gift of Hope, and this is a four-week series, and it'll take us right into Christmas Eve, and we are celebrating the Advent season here at Radiant Church. And traditionally, Advent is, it already began actually, and it is the, the, the four Sundays that are before Christmas. And during this series, we are looking at, or rather I should say, Advent is literally the word for coming or arrival. And this word literally means uh, It's a time, during Advent, it's a time where it's a time of reflection and a time of remembrance. And so what we do during Advent is we look back and we reflect upon the birth of Jesus Christ, but then we also look forward with great anticipation and great expectation of Jesus' second coming. And as I said before, this series will move us right into Christmas Eve. And what we'll do in this series is each week, we will look, we will specifically talk about how Jesus is our long-awaited hope. But we'll get into some specifics. Like, for example, we'll talk about Jesus is hope for prodigals, those who have wandered from the faith, veered away from their faith. Jesus is hope for the religious, or we might call them the self-righteous, as the New Testament calls, calls it. We'll look at that in week three. We'll talk about how Jesus is hope for Everyone, not just a specific group of people, but every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And today we'll talk about Jesus is hope for sinners like you and me. Jesus is hope for sinners. And so this morning I want to just dive right in and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 and we're going to look at part of the birth narrative of Jesus, just a, a sliver of it, and then we'll begin to unpack that for the rest of our message. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to pick things up in verse number 18 to 21. We'll have the words behind me as well for you to follow along. Many of you are familiar with this story, but I would love for you to follow along as we begin today. It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Of course, they were engaged to be married here. But before they came together, she found she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So in those days under the Mosaic law, if you were to commit adultery, the punishment was to be stoned. And that was according to the law. Now, of course, Joseph didn't want that, so he thought he would just divorce her quietly. But God had other plans. Verse number 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he, notice what's underlined behind me, will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. What does this mean, that Jesus will save his people from their sins? We're going to explore that today as the title of my message is Jesus, Hope for Sinners. Jesus, Hope for Sinners. Let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father in heaven, we love you, and we thank you so much for just the work that you're doing here and through Radiant Church. We thank you for your presence, God. We thank you that already in first service, we had 11 or 12 people make a confession for Christ this morning and to make a commitment to you, Lord. What a powerful morning it's been. Father, we just submit this time to you, and we ask that you would meet with us, Lord. God, would you come and would you unlock deaf ears? Lord, would you soften uh, those of us who have a hardened heart, Lord, those of us who have come just tired and worn out and weary because of life, and because of that, our hearts are hardened. We're a bit cynical. Um, we're a bit critical of the church. Lord, would you soften hardened hearts? Lord, would you open up blind eyes to just be able to see you, to know you, and to love you, God? For your word says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord but by through the Holy Spirit. So would you open up blind eyes this morning and draw us near into a relationship with you. God, come and mend broken hearts. Lord, uh, relationships, marriages that are struggling. Lord, many marriages, Lord, uh, going through a tough time this year. Lord, would you mend broken hearts and heal broken marriages, marriages that are hanging on by a thread. God, specifically, I ask that you would just cause grace and forgiveness, God, to happen and flourish within these marriages. Would you turn the hearts of husbands back to their wives? Would you turn the hearts of wives back to their husbands and do a miraculous work, God, today, Lord? Save a marriage today, we pray, God. God, we submit the rest of our time with you. We just say, come, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this place. We are your people, and we're ready to do what you've asked us to do. Lord, we love you. Again, we submit this all to you in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Awesome. Let me begin this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever gotten or have you ever gone on a road trip and gotten lost? 
few people, maybe a couple of you, brave enough to raise your hands. You've gone on a road trip and you've gotten lost. And I know it's rare. I know it's rare today because we all have access to GPS. We all have access to a smartphone in our pockets. And we just simply plug in the address and then we're off, right? But occasionally, even GPS gets things wrong. It's true. A couple of years ago, well, actually many years ago, when I was living in Grand Rapids, I had made plans to meet my sister for lunch. And she was living in the town of St. Joseph. I was in Grand Rapids. We had found a restaurant um, on Yelp, I believe it was, on our smartphones. And we decided that we were going to meet for lunch one day. And so I go ahead and plug that address into my phone. And then off I went driving to Holland, Michigan to meet her for lunch at this specific restaurant. Now, I remember, you know how Siri or whatever your device is, how they talk to you, and I remember pulling in and then Siri saying, you have arrived now to your destination. You know the voice? My, my, my kids think that Siri knows everything. They try to ask Siri, like, Siri, what's this? And I'm like, shh, don't answer. Siri doesn't know everything, okay? Only the Lord knows everything. I have to teach my kids this, right? And so they're constantly yelling at Siri. I'm like, enough, right? And so um, I remember pulling in, but as I looked in front of me, I thought to myself, this, this, is, this, I can't be, this is not the place. And the reason why I knew I had not arrived at my destination was because there was an empty field in front of me, right? Okay? <laughs> an empty field in front of me, and I had parked into a grassy spot, and I'm thinking to myself, this is clearly not the spot. I called my sister up, and I said, hey, are you at the restaurant? Because it doesn't look like this. And she says, you're not here, actually. Right? You have not arrived. And, and so it turns out that I had put some part of the address or the aspect of the address. I had gotten it wrong, right? I got it wrong in GPS. And at a certain part of my journey, I had veered from the path that I was intended to take. Five minutes later, though, I, I found my way, and then I had lunch with my sister, and it was a grand old day. But the point being was that at par along my journey, a part of my journey, Again, I'll say it again, I had veered from the path that I was intended to take. I want you to just hear that for a moment, because this is a little bit like what the Bible speaks of when it talks about sin. Veering from the path that you were intended to take. Now, when we think about our modern day world, the modern age that we live in, when secular people or people in our world, our day and age, think about sin when it comes to the Bible or the description of the human condition according to the Bible, many people think that the Bible's definition of the, of the condition of human nature is archaic, um, irrelevant, old-fashioned, and at worst, they simply ignore it. Now, this is really, really unfortunate. And the reason why it's so unfortunate is because the Bible actually gives us a very accurate picture and a profound diagnosis of the human condition or human nature. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to begin by teaching you a little Hebrew. I hope you have your thinking caps on. I hope you're ready to learn and engage don't fall asleep because I can see you anyways, right? And so listen, I want you to engage with the word of God. I want to just teach you three words, simple, that the Bible uses to describe human nature. 
The first word that we see scripture mentions is the word iniquity. Iniquity. It's the Hebrew word avon. Everybody say avon. Avon speaks of crooked behavior or perverseness. Avon. Crooked behavior or perverseness. The second word I want to teach you is the word transgression. The Bible also uses this word transgression. Now, in the Hebrew, it shows up as a noun, but it also shows up as a verb. The noun is pesha. Everyone say pesha or pesha. The, the, the verb actually is pasha, pasha. Now, when the Bible speaks of transgression, it speaks of breaking the trust of someone else in a relationship, breaking someone's trust or violating someone's trust. Think of it like this, betrayal. When you betray someone, you're betraying their trust. Now, listen, a lot of us are familiar with this idea of transgression because we have probably broken someone else's trust, right? We have probably pashad against someone. Or maybe you're here this morning, and maybe this is more accurate, someone has pashad against you. They have broken or violated your trust. And now you're here, and you're going through the ramifications and the implications of broken trust in your marriage or broken trust in your relationship, whatever that might look like for you. But there's pain, there's turmoil, and there's questioning. Why? Because someone has transgressed against you. Now, the final word that the Bible uses is the word that we're all familiar with, and this is the word sin. The word sin. The Hebrew word is chata. Can I say it with that, you know, you know, little guttural in the back of your throat? Chata. That's right, yeah. So many good Hebrew speakers in this room today, and hopefully online as well, right? The Greek word is the word harmatia, and I remember in seminary, this was we had to memorize over 300 Greek words. This was, of course, one of the words that we had to memorize. Harmatia. Say harmatia. This is the Greek word for sin. Now, in the Old Testament, it has a very rich vocabulary and rich meaning. It means simply this, to miss the mark or to fail. To miss the mark or to fail. In the Bible, the word sin is actually used, when it's used, it's used to describe a person with a bow and arrow shooting at a target and then missing the target with the arrow. They've missed their mark. To miss the mark or to fail. This is the meaning that the Bible uses when it comes to sin. Now, when we think about ourselves, or people in general, it speaks of missing the mark that God has established for a person's life. Think about this. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, some of you are familiar with this verse, some of you are not. The Bible says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. What does that mean? That literally means this, that every single person on the planet, including myself, we have missed the mark that God has established for our lives. Isn't that interesting? We've missed the mark. Or literally, what? We veered from the path that we were intended to take. Let me show you an example. Proverbs chapter 19, verse number two. This is interesting. It says this, desire without knowledge 
is not good. How much more will feet that are in a hurry, hasty feet, what does it say there, church? Miss the way. You know what Hebrew word is there used for the word miss? That's right. Hata, right? The word sin. It literally means to veer from the path that you and I were intended to take. The Bible speaks that all of us are in this predicament. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, okay, so we've all failed. We've all veered from the path. We've all missed the mark. We were shooting. We were aiming at something, and we didn't hit it. So what did we fail at exactly? Great question. We failed at primarily two things. Number one, we have all failed, myself included, of course, at loving God with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul. That's right. And number two, you and I have all failed at loving our neighbors as ourselves. All of us, we've all failed doing this. And so the Bible says that we have all sinned. Now in the world, because sin entered into our world, I want to just give you a few examples of some of the things that are present now. And I mean, you all know this. These things are present now in our world because of a result of sin in no particular order and definitely not exhaustive. Number one, we have things like cancer, arguments, fear, wars. There's a war happening right now in Eastern Europe, right? Alcoholism. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with alcoholism. It's a major temptation in your life. It's destroyed your marriage. It's destroyed family relationships, alcoholism, divorce. Sadly to say, I know too many people who are on the brink of divorce or struggling through a divorce right now. Sadness, layoffs, infertility. Maybe you've struggled with that. We've walked, my wife and I have walked with many couples through that. It's very, very painful, very difficult. Identity crisis. People don't know who they are. They don't know their own genders. Sex now is up for grabs. So there's an identity crisis that many people have fallen into, right? And of course, death. Death. Untimely death. Think about that one. These are all a result of what we see in our world as a result of mankind choosing to what? Sin. Choosing to sin. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to build from the ground up this theology of sin. Why am I doing that? Because I think when it comes to sin, when it comes to our modern-day world, we have no idea. There are some people who are in church, who have been in church for years and years and years and have not heard these things, okay? So I want to build up a theology of sin. And here's how we're going to do that. We're going to go back in the Bible, and we're going to go to the chapter where it all happened, which is Genesis chapter 3. And we're literally going to read the whole entire chapter, so stay with me, because we're reading the whole chapter, all right? There's no way for us to get around this. We just, I can't just sprinkle a few verses here and there. We got to just hit it, you guys. We got to go through it. It's profound. It's theological. It's beautiful. It's insane. It's wild, okay? But we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 this morning, where everything began. In fact, what I'm going to do for you this morning is I want to actually begin a little before that, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, the last verse is verse number 25. And 
Here's what verse 25 says. It says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So this is like the platform. This is the foundation of what we're building today, all right? This, this is why I put this verse first. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now let's look what happens next because this is really, really important for us to to, to dive in today and to discover. Verse number one, the serpent, he shows up out of nowhere. Where does he show up? up? I'm not even sure. The scripture doesn't tell us where he comes from, but he shows up. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, so now he's engaging in conversation, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden, right? God, so the, the serpent's job is to get Eve to question God's word. Jesus says in the New Testament that God's word is unbreakable, but Satan would love for all of us to say, I don't know if it really means that. That's not my interpretation of it. I don't buy that, right? So Satan wants us to be deceived into what God really said. Verse number two, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, right? You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die. Here comes the serpent. He's, you know, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But God did say this in Genesis 2.17. He says, you can have any fruit in the garden you want, just do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good Evil, why does he have a tree? Why is it in the middle of the garden? Well, there's a lot of speculation about that. Some theologians and philosophers have said it's because the idea of choice, that God introduces choice into the equation, and that for love to be genuine, listen, there needs to be a choice. Now, that might not satisfy all of your, your questions, but that's a part of it. There is much more to be read on that. Let's keep going. Verse number six, when the woman, and verse number six is where everything goes wrong, just so you know, okay? This is like... You know, like insert the, 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 the meme with the mushroom cloud. There's like the giant explosion. Yeah, you, you get it, right? This is where it all goes wrong. So I don't want anyone to come up to me after church and saying, you know, Pastor Mark, how did we get here? Verse number six, here it is. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What is mankind doing right here? They're trying to cover up their own shame and sin. You know, Adam and Eve did it, and now people have been doing that ever since. People try to make coverings for themselves apart from Christ, and it doesn't work, does it? Let's keep reading. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't that amazing? God's just hanging out with him in the cool of the day. That's incredible. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the who? Who? The man. I thought Eve took the fruit. Who is he calling though? The man. Husbands, think about that. There's a role that you play in your marriage. There's a role that you play in the family. I know it makes me uncomfortable too, but God holds you accountable. 
So God doesn't come to the woman. God comes to the husband. Adam, you want to explain this? He comes to the husband, right? Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. Way to pick a winner, God. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. What is happening right now? Blame shifting. Anybody ever have that in their marriage? No? You get perfect marriages, huh? Awesome. Wow. Well, we will see you for counseling then. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, now he's talking to this, he's addressing the serpent now, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals, you will what? Crawl on your belly. That means before this, some scholars think that the serpent had, you know, legs and he had hind legs and he was standing up. So God says, now you're going to crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, which is hostility, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And then notice what the second part of verse 15 says. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Leave it on that slide for just a few moments. This is very, very, very fascinating because in the middle of their turmoil, in the middle of their sin, what do we see right here? The grace of God. I want you to know this is called the Proto-Evangelion. This is the first prophetic utterance of the gospel that shows up in the book of Genesis. What is God saying? God is saying that the offspring of the woman, there will be one who will come, serpent, and he will crush your head. Who is she, or who is God referring to? Jesus, that's right. He says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, the serpent will do damage, but he will not be, uh, he will not win the battle. Jesus will deal a death blow to Satan. I love this because right in the middle of their mess, in the middle of poor decision-making, in the middle of their rebellion, what does God do? He pronounces the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to see that because so many people so often will say, Pastor Marco, God's just so crotchety in the Old Testament. He's like an old angry man, and Jesus is the teddy bear. I want Jesus. Well, that's not good theology. Because literally in almost every page of the Old Testament, there is a glimpse of the grace of God. And here is part of that glimpse. God says to the serpent, listen, just so you know, I'm coming after you. To the woman, he said, verse number 16, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And all of our moms can say amen to that one, right? Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. In other words, in a marriage, have you ever had this married couple as you fight and you try to control one another? No, nobody ever had that before? Okay, again, you guys are sanctified. I love it. So God is saying, listen, because of the result of sin, Eve, you're going to try to run your husband's life, but he's going to rule over you. And from now on, there's going to be a point of contention. You're going to have conflict in your marriage. 
in that relationship. You're going to have difficulty communicating with the opposite sex, with your husband, with your spouse, right, with your wife. There's going to be difficulty there. You're going, to, you're going to want to try to rule over him, but he's going to rule over you. This is what it's speaking of here in this verse. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments. This is fascinating. That God is making garments of, of what? Skin. That's what the, te- the text says, skin. Where did that skin come from? Any wild guesses? From an animal. Here's another piece of, another glimpse of the grace of God. What is God doing? He's covering their nakedness, their shame. This is phenomenal. This is amazing. God doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to do that at all. He's holy. He's beautiful. He's righteous. And yet he covers their sin, their shame. God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken after He drove the man out, so he's kicking them out of the Garden of Eden. He placed on the east side of the Garden, what, Um, of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I'll explain that in just a moment. But here's what I want to do with you guys for the next few moments. I want us to just make a list together. Can we make a list together of things that, as a result, are now happening for Adam and Eve, and are now happening now for us today in our world. We're going to make a list together, okay? We're going to look back on this story now. We're going to categorize some of these things, okay? First thing on the list that I have is hiding. What does Adam do? He hides from God. Ever since that day, man has been hiding from God. Scripture says in John chapter 3, I believe, John writes this. He says that, Uh, Because of the wickedness of men, they chose to do their evil deeds in darkness because they were afraid that if they brought them into the light, they would be exposed. Evil men love darkness. Hiding. Maybe you're hiding today. Fear. Fear shows up, of course, now. Adam says, I was afraid. I was afraid, so I hid, right? Fear. Some people are plagued with fear. And multiple pills are taken every day. And we're traumatized. And we can't get a hold of our thoughts. So many people have overwhelming fear. We call it anxiety. But it really is just a form of fear in our lives. Shame, of course, shows up in the Scripture. Obviously, we have guilt. Adam knows that he's guilty. Condemnation. They both feel condemnation. Blame shifting. Blame shifting happens in their relationship. 
God, the woman you gave me, she, she made me do it. It's her fault. And then Eve says, well, it's a serpent that deceived me, God. And so I just did what he told me to do. I was deceiving. It's a serpent. You put him here in the garden. I don't know why he's here running around. I don't know what the big deal about that is, right? And so there's blame shifting that happens in their relationship and in their marriage. Hostility between Adam and Eve. We talked about this. There's hostility between them, the, the, the two sexes. And in the marriage, this is often difficult, right? We have a hard time communicating with one another. And we experience this enmity, this hostility that happens. And we can't always get along. We don't understand each other. And then we make accusations against one another in a marriage. It's like, well, she's feeling, she always says this about me. And he always does that. He's lazy. Well, she's too emotional, right? And we have this hostility in the marriage relationship. Birth pains, of course, all of our mothers know very much about this. There's separation from God. There's separation from God. Now that the union has been broken, now that relationship is severed and there's separation Hardship and pain that accompanies work. Hardship and pain that accompanies work. Have you ever been at your job and you've come home and you've said to a friend or maybe your spouse, I hate my job. Hey, how was work, honey? Work sucked. Oh, okay. Well, there's macaroni and cheese in the stove. (laughs) As if the mac and cheese makes it better. Sometimes it does, though, right? Have you ever, have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that, right? It's like, oh, I gotta go to work again. I hate those people and they're toxic. And, well, God said this was, gonna, this was gonna happen. There's gonna be a hardship that accompanies work. Right? And we've all experienced this. What about this? Thorns and thistles, thorns and thistles. Have you ever noticed that if you don't cut your grass, it will just literally overtake your whole lot? Like, weeds will come up, right? And, I mean, it will just overtake everything unless you get out there with your zero-turn lawnmower, and, right, and cut the grass and tend to it and weed whack and keep everything neat the way it should be because if not, listen, thorns and thistles will come from the ground. Did you know that Paul in Romans chapter 8 says that creation has been subjected to futility? He's talking about sin. All creation itself been subjected to futility. How about this one? Death. Of course, we know this one. We live with this every single day. The knowledge that, listen, that we are going to die. We know this. And then finally, they're banished from God's presence. What does God do? He kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. Why? So they can't eat from the tree of life. Well, that sounds mean, Pastor Marco. God's just a big grumpy pants. No, he's not. That's merciful. That's the mercy of God. Why is that? Because God doesn't want them to die in their sin. And so he has to, what? Banish them from his presence. He puts the cherubim up with the flaming sword so they will not come back in and take of the tree of life and therefore die in their sin. But earlier, remember verse number 15, the scripture tells us, God speaking to Satan, he will crush your head you will bruise his heel. There is the proto-euangelion, the pronouncement, the good news of Jesus Christ. Right there in Genesis chapter 3. It's incredible. I want you to think about Genesis chapter 3 for a few moments. And that list that we just went through, shame, fear, guilt, condemnation, death, everything we just went through. I want you to think about that list for a moment. Because we live in a day and age 
where, I don't know if you've noticed this, but everything is celebrated, right? There's like a month for stuff, like everyone's got their own month, and things are just like, you, you just like, you come out, and you're like, your, your, your sin is exposed for everybody, just to, everybody to just like celebrate it and cheer each other on, and the thing is about our culture is that we're doing everything that we can do to get rid of sin, but we still can't do it. Have you noticed that? And what I'm trying to say is this, is I'm trying to say is that as no matter what we do, no matter what we do, we cannot rid ourselves of guilt, of shame, condemnation. We cannot get rid of that in it of ourselves. And while we can flaunt our sin and say, hey, this is who I am, and I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating it, and I'm sinful, and we can do that, but deep inside, listen, here's what I want to say to you. Deep inside, you, you know, you know. You, even if it's just you in your mirror, you look in the mirror and there's shame. And you're like, no, there's no shame, not at all. No, 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 I, 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 and I'm not trying to just like dog on you, but literally, listen, listen, with your heart, listen for just a moment. You know. There's hiding. I can't tell my mom this. I can't tell, can't tell grandpa. I can't, my, my wife, she can never find out about this. My wife can never find out if she knew I was doing this. If she knew I was looking at these images on the, on the internet, she would, I just, I can't, I cannot let her find out. There's hiding. There's anger. There's guilt. You carry it around. And, and I know, listen, I, I get it. In their culture, everybody wants to sweep it under the rug and, hey, you know, we're all, we're good. And like, let's celebrate. Let's party. It's awesome. Everybody's happy. And you can do all that on the outside, but on the inside, that's not the case. And you know it. Every single person knows this, really, right? They bear witness to the truth. This is what Scripture tells us in Romans, that even those who are lawless, right, they're on the inside of them, they bear witness to the truth. They know, they know that what they've done is wrong. They know that they've sinned. And maybe this morning you're here or you're watching online, and maybe that's you. You're feeling this way. Right? You're uncomfortable right now, and you're like, uh, 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 I didn't want to come to church, and she dragged me here, and oh, my God, and he's talking about this today. you got to be kidding me. Oh my, I can't. Uh, I, she always does this to me. Makes me want to come to church. She knows I don't like church. She knows I hate the dumb pastor. She knows it's not my, it's not my thing. She knows this. And maybe you're feeling this way this morning, right? And so while you could try to pretend like it doesn't exist, right, you realize this. You realize this. And can I add to that this morning that when we sin, listen, it's not just sort of random, arbitrary sin. We're actually sinning against a person, and that person is God. Did you know that sin is a direct, affro a, a direct affront to the holiness of God? Here's what David says after he committed adultery with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, verse number four. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right, God, in your verdict and justified when you judge. Excuse me. You know who else experiences this or says this? Is Joseph. In Genesis 39, you guys remember that story? Some of you do, some of you don't. Potiphar's wife, she had the hots for Joseph. 
she wanted to get him in bed with her. I mean, she's begging, she's chasing him around, and he's like, woman, get behind me, Satan, right? And he's, he's rebuking her and running away from her. And what does he say to her? He says this. He says, how could I do such an evil thing to my master and sin against God? Joseph knows. I'm not going to do that because that's sin against God himself. The late R.C. Sproul, he was one of my favorite theologians on the reform side, but R.C. Sproul called sin cosmic treason. Isn't that incredible? Here's what he says in his book, The Holiness of God. R.C. Sproul writes this, sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure sovereign. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. And so when you come in, and, and, and I get it, because I used to be there. I promise you, I used to be there, right? When you come in and you're angry and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm here at church again. I'm hearing this message. And Listen, I hate to, 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 to bring you bad news, but it's basically like you stiff-arming the God who put the very air in your lungs. That's what you're doing. I know you don't think of it like that, and I, but that's what you're doing. The God who has given you life, who the only reason why you're walking around right now is because of him, because at any second, he could change that. You've stiff-armed him. You keep God at bay. This is what we do. I want to give you three, remember, we're building a theology of sin this morning. I want to give you three theological truths that we see come out of Genesis Chapter three, bear with me. I've got about seven minutes left, eight minutes left. Man, maybe probably, yeah, 10 minutes left, actually. <laughs> you know me, I like to talk. <laughs> three theological truths. Here we go. Number one, we have a sinful nature because of Adam's sin, right? The Bible says that we're all born into sin, that we're all born into sin. sin. David says that in Psalm 51. He says, in iniquity, I was born, right? In my mother's womb, I was born into sin. The theologians call this original sin, now, some theologians don't like that term, so what they use is they use the term inherited sin. Inherited sin simply means what it sounds like. It's the guilt and the tendency to sin that we all have because of Adam's sin. We're born into it. You have a sinful nature. I have a sinful nature, okay? I mean, we're just, like, we tend to lean that way, right? If righteousness or good, right? A lot of us will just, we'll just lean right into, or righteousness or evil, we'll just lean right into the evil part. Number two, we are counted guilty because of Adam's sin. We are counted guilty because of Adam's sin. And some of you are like, yeah, but I didn't do anything. So I don't know. I don't like this. And I don't like this doctrine. I didn't do anything, Pastor Markle. That was Adam's fault. I get what you're saying. And I understand how you could be a bit peeved about it. But the idea is this, is that in Scripture, Adam is the representative of the human race, Okay. He is God's chosen representative of the human race. And so because Adam was guilty, that guilt has now been passed down to all of us. And we're all guilty. But can I just tell you, that sounds like bad news, but can I just tell you, the second Adam, through the second Adam, whose name is Jesus, we can also find righteousness and forgiveness through him. Right? So through the first Adam, we've all been found guilty. But through the second Adam, which is Jesus, we can all be made righteous by his perfect sacrifice on the cross. 
And number three, outside of Christ, we are totally unable to do spiritual good before God. This is really important. Outside of Christ, we are totally unable to do spiritual good before God. Paul says this in Romans. He says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What does that mean? That means that anything outside of faith will not please God. That means you can, the scripture says that Isaiah 64, I believe it is, Isaiah says that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God outside of Jesus. What, what does that mean, Marco? It means this. It means that in it of ourselves, we cannot merit the favor of God by ourselves. Well, you're like, I, yeah, but okay, here's the thing, Marco. I know a lot of nice people. Well, fantastic. I do too, right? Marco, I know a lot of people who are way kinder than Christians. Amen. I would have totally agree with that. They're way kinder. Marco, I know people who give way more money away than Christians. I get it, and you're right. However, that is not pleasing to God. They cannot actually merit favor from God just by doing those good deeds. You're like, no, 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 it can't be like that. It is like that. Apart from Christ, we cannot do any spiritual good. Jesus says it himself. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Why he wants us to abide in him. John 15, I believe it is. To abide in him. Apart from Jesus, we cannot do anything. No spiritual good. We cannot merit the favor of God. So here's what's happening. We are in this precarious state because we're found guilty. We have a sinful nature, right? Um, uh, what else did I mention here? Um, we've been found guilty in the eyes of the holy God. And again, nothing in it of ourselves, we cannot merit the favor of God, okay? So let me just bring this home now to you a little bit. Let me make this practical for you because I know I've painted a bleak picture, but I've done it for a reason. So please hear me out. Please hear me out. Maybe you're here this morning, and can I just tell you, um, man, first service was incredible. Uh, so many people um, saying yes to a Savior, and my prayer is that it'll be you. I never assume that everybody's a Christian in this room. Never, I would never assume that. But maybe you're here this morning and you're hiding from God. You're not just hiding from God, you're hiding from your spouse. And you're not just hiding from your spouse, you're hiding from your coworkers and your family members. You've got a deep, dark secret. And so what you're doing is you just keep hiding. You keep hiding, hiding, and hiding, and you think that you'll be able to escape God. You'll, you'll think that the problem will go away, but it, it just doesn't go away on its own. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're living with the guilt of something that you've done 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You're like, man, I, I'd forgotten all about that, but every once in a while, I remember this. I'm never, I'm, I'm gonna, have you ever heard this saying? People will say this, I'm going to carry that with me to my grave. Really? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you accept? Why would you choose to carry that with you to your grave? And so there's guilt. And you've tried to sweep it under the rug, but it's still there. It's, it's, it, it comes up. It rears its ugly head. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're just like, you're simply thinking in your head, come on, man. Like, ain't nobody going to tell me how to live my life, all right? Ain't nobody going to tell me how to do this, all right? I don't need you. I don't need a church. I'm only here because she asked me to come, and I'm just, she keeps begging me, and I'm like, come on. Can I just tell you, there's something inside of all 
love us. That says the same thing. It's this radical sense, desire for total and complete autonomy. I don't be connected to anything. I don't need anybody. I just, good. I don't, just don't need no moral law. It's ridiculous. I don't need that. I'm fine. Marco, I know a lot of good people who are not Christians. They do nice things. I'm, I'm, again, I, would, I agree with you. You're right. Indeed. But that's called pride. And pride always rears its ugly head, and he wedges himself in between us and a relationship with God. That's pride. That's your pride speaking. I've been there, and I've done that. Maybe it's crooked behavior. It's iniquity. It's, it's, it's a lack of integrity at work, with your money, whatever it is, okay? Now, nobody knows it, but you know it, okay? You know it, and that's the thing. Perhaps it's transgression. You've transgressed against your spouse. You cheated on her. Maybe it wasn't physical, but it was through the internet, or it was by looking at images, and Jesus says, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Maybe you've committed adultery against your husband. Again, maybe it's not even physical, but it's spiritual. It's, it's in your heart. You've violated that person's trust, right? And so here you are. You've tried to put it under the rug, but you carry this guilt, this shame, this condemnation because deep inside you know that you've done wrong. And the idea is, listen, we can all try to hide. Can, can I just tell you, I lived my life that way for many years. So I'm not this perfect little kid who'd never experienced anything crazy in their life. Listen, I've lived that life for many years. I used to say that. I used to do those things. I used to hide. I used to justify my sin. Man, I could talk my way out of a paper bag. And maybe you can too, right? Maybe you can too. But the thing is, is you can do it all you want. You can spend so much effort in that direction, but you still cannot rid it, rid it of your life on your own. That condemnation, that shame, that guilt, can I just tell you, it will not go away from you on its own. This is why Jesus came. This is why I spent so much time building us, for us, this kind of theology of sin Jesus came to save his people from their sins. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 1. But so often we, we, we treat sin so flippantly. So many in our culture, right? It's just, it's non-existent. We celebrate everything. Everything goes today. Just do you, boo-boo. Be you. Be authentic. And it's like, no, that's not the message. No, don't live that way. That's madness. It's craziness. I know it sounds great to everybody. I, I get it, right? But listen, it will destroy you on the inside. No matter what you do, you're, you're going to have shame. You're going to have guilt. It's condemnation. There's going to be running. You're going to run from God. Jesus came to set you free, friend. Jesus came to save you a sinner, to save me a sinner. Jesus walks into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, he, he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, and notice what he reads. He reads this portion beginning in verse number 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's actually talking about himself here because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, those who are locked in a prison, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to set the oppressed free. What an incredible message to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Jesus soon after that, he leaves the synagogue or, or what he says after, afterwards is profound. He says, this has been now fulfilled in me. In other words, Jesus was saying, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to liberate those who are in prison. I've come to liberate those who are oppressed. I've come to open blind eyes. I've come to bring true freedom. It's me, Jesus is saying. It's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's Jesus. This, this Christmas season, it's Jesus, right? Hope for the sinner. In Luke 19, verses 9 and 10, after Jesus saves Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man, remember him, the tax collector? Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. And then notice what it says. For the son of man, that's Jesus, came to what, church? To seek and to save the lost. There it is. To seek and to save the lost. So how does Jesus save us? by giving his one and only life on that cross for us, in our place. We deserved it, but he willingly stepped in our place. Mark 10, 45 says this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, uh, as a life as a ransom for many. Listen, the penalty was death. The debt was too high to pay, and Jesus steps into our place Scripture calls this, or theologians call this, penal substitutionary atonement. It means that Jesus is our substitute, and he was punished so that we wouldn't have to be. Now, some of you are like, wait a second. Again, that, is that fair? But remember, you didn't think it was fair to have Adam's guilt. So you shouldn't also think it's fair that Jesus is able to relieve you of your guilt. It's not fair. It's the grace of God through Jesus. And so by one man, Adam, we were counted guilty. But by one man, Jesus, we can be made righteous and forgiven. So this morning, listen, I want to just, let me say this. I'm almost done. I've painted a bleak picture, and I get it. You're like, I came to church to be encouraged. What the heck, man? I promise you, like, you have to hear, you have to hear the dismal reality of our sin because if you don't, you'll never appreciate and realize the precious gift we have in the good news of Jesus Christ. You'll never. You'll never realize it. You'll just think it's not a big deal. I don't, it's Jesus, whatever, right? You'll just go through your whole life over and over again. And can I just tell you, we live in a therapeutic culture, right? What does that mean? A therapeutic culture is like everybody wants to feel good, right? We don't want, no one, we don't want to offend anybody. No one wants to feel bad. It's like, whoa, whoa, cancel him. He made me feel bad, okay? Can I just tell you, the Bible doesn't work that way. <laughs> the Bible will offend your worldview. It will offend you. I hope it actually does. But if you'll just get past your pride, if you can just look past it just for a moment, the grace of God can slip into your heart and begin to soften your heart and to see your need for a Savior that you'll realize, listen, that apart from Jesus, you have nothing good. Apart from Jesus, you have nothing good. And that outside of Christ, you can do no spiritual good to God. You cannot please God. The scripture says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Those who do not have faith do not please God. Hear that. I know it's hard to hear. 
but it's what we need. We don't need more therapy. We need the truth. We need the truth of God's word to finally set us free. We need to hear this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We need to hear this, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. We need to hear this, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We need to hear that. We need that message today, that Jesus came to set sinners free, that Jesus is hope for sinners. And today you're here, you're in two places, you're inside of Christ or outside of Christ. And I simply wanna invite you in Christ this morning. With every head bowed, would you take a moment, would you just, we don't always do this here at Radiant Church, would you bow your heads, would you mind, right? Bow your heads, I I wanna pray with you, and I'm gonna count to three, and I just, I don't do this every week, okay? but I just felt compelled in first service to do it. I feel compelled to do it right now. Listen, I want, I want you to just pray. I want you to pray with me. If, you, if you're here and you know, listen, you've been hiding, you've been running, you've been trying to hide the shame, you've been trying to put the guilt underneath, there's anger, you're angry. Maybe you're angry at God, that's fine. So just tell him. Just get over with and tell him already and deal with it. It's time to deal with it, right? It's, it's time. Here, might as well do it here, right? Might as well do it now. Let's go. That's what I say. So listen, if you're here in that place this morning, church, come on, I want you to begin to receive the life and the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to shoot your hand high in the air, say, Marco, I need a Savior. I need saving today. I've been far from Him. I, I've been playing a game with God, and I want, I want the real thing today. Let me just count to three. One, two, three. If that's you this morning, go ahead and shoot your hand high in the air. I see one hand right here. Thank you, sir. I see one hand. Do I see another? Anybody else? I need a Savior. I need Jesus this morning. I want to pray with you. I see another hand back there. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? I'm, I, I want a Savior. I'm tired of playing church games or religious games. I want to know God. I want to pray with you right now. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the, for the hope that we have in Jesus this Christmas, God, that only Jesus came to set sinners free. Only Jesus saves the sinners from death. Father, we receive you right now. We open our hearts to you. Forgive us of what we've done. Forgive us of our transgression, our iniquity, and our sin. God, we've not only sinned against others, but we've sinned against you. God, in your mercy, would you receive, God, uh, would you receive our prayer, Lord? In your mercy, God, look down upon us with your favor. God, we don't come to you on our own. We come through you by the blood of Jesus Christ your son whom you sacrificed in our place. God, we want that hope and that life. God, we don't deserve it and we know that we can't earn it. And, and yet, God, we're saying we want life in Jesus. Thank you that Jesus took, uh, took uh, the sin of the world upon him, but three days later, he was raised to new life. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father and one day he will return. God, give us new hearts and fill us with your Holy Spirit today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we clap our hands for those few people that...